It says, And shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry day and night unto Him? The story that Jesus is relating in this passage is a passage where Jesus is trying to teach the importance of prayer. He's trying to instill in His followers the reasonableness of developing the habit of prayer. You see, Jesus understood something. He realized how easy it is for us to become discouraged in an effort to pray. Jesus knows us. He knows our nature. He knows our heart. And He knows how prone we are to turn aside from this task. A task that can be so rewarding to us if we persist in it. But we often turn our attention to lesser tasks that seem to bring greater results. And what Jesus is attempting to teach us in Luke chapter 18 is to pray and not faint in praying and not grow weary in prayer. He wants us to be persistent. He wants us to be unrelenting in prayer. Jesus teaches us about prayer in many different ways. He teaches us about prayer because of what He says about prayer. But to our faith, our often dim faith, Jesus' assertions regarding the privileges and possibilities of prayer often seem extravagant to us. You see, Jesus tells us prayer is not the privilege of the few. Prayer is the privilege of the many. Prayer is not reserved just for those who have climbed up the hill a long way toward God. It's for those plodding along like you and I are. It's for ordinary plodders like me. And like you. You see, there's another place Jesus talks about prayer. And He says, to everyone that asketh, He receiveth. He says, he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh, it shall be opened, Jesus said. The victories of prayer can be won by even the very weakest among us. But failure can come to even the strongest without prayer. One day Jesus came and saw a great multitude around His disciples. He had been on the mountain of transfiguration with Peter and James and John and they came down from the mountain. And there was this great multitude around the other disciples that were there. The scribes were questioning them. And it seems that a father had brought his afflicted son for the disciples to heal. And the disciples had made a miserable failure of the enterprise. Their efforts to heal this man's son had proven futile. And what they succeeded in doing was winning the ridicule of the scoffers. They had weakened the faith of this father in Jesus and the disciples. 
And when they were alone, the disciples asked a question of Jesus. They said, why, Lord? Why were we not able to cast out that evil spirit? Jesus did not attribute their failure to their indifference. They were interested in the Father and they were interested in the Son. He did not tell them that they failed because of a lack of effort. Jesus knew that they had done their very best. He also did not tell them they had undertaken a task that was too great for them. He told them they failed because they failed to pray. He told them in Mark 9 verse 29, This kind can come forth by nothing but prayer and fasting. Are you listening? If we fail to pray, no amount of effort will atone for that failure when we go into battle. But, if what Jesus said about prayer was impressive... What Jesus did is even more impressive. You see, it wasn't after Jesus preached a great sermon on prayer that the disciples came and said, Lord, teach us to pray. He hadn't delivered a great discourse teaching about prayer. They had seen Jesus on His knees in prayer. And after seeing Jesus on His knees in prayer, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. That's what Luke tells us. Jesus finished praying. They had seen Him in prayer. And the disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. They had watched Him in prayer. And as they watched Him in prayer, they said, Wow! Here's something real. Here's something bigger and greater and finer than anything we have ever done. Here is something that's worthwhile. We've got to learn about this. We've got to learn the secret of this thing called prayer. And so they said in Luke 11 and verse 1, Luke tells us, Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus is still right now teaching us the value of prayer. Jesus Christ gave prayer first place in His active and busy life. In the life of Jesus Christ, as busy as He was with the great demands that there were on His time, in Jesus' life, prayer was central. Oftentimes with us, what is prayer? Well, we look upon prayer as a preparation for the battle. But with Jesus Christ... Prayer was not preparation for the battle. Prayer was the battle. That is to say, having prayed, Jesus went out as a victor might go to receive the spoils of His conquest. It's when we turn to the Gospels, we see Jesus in prayer, and He's obviously putting forth His utmost energy. Because we see Jesus engaged in conflict so strenuous 
that it tells us his sweat was like great drops of blood dripping from his brow. There are times we see Jesus, that he walks with a poise and a serenity that leaves us absolutely amazed. When were the times of conflict for Jesus? When were the times of struggle for Jesus? His times of struggle and conflict were always His times of prayer. If you judge it by the New Testament, the only work that ever taxed the strength of Jesus Christ was the work of prayer. And having prayed, Jesus would go forth from the place of conflict as the victor. Think about all the things Jesus did. Think about all the miracles that Jesus performed. Healing the sick, making the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak. All of those things were done so effortlessly and so easily. As we see Jesus walking up and down the dusty roads of Palestine and healing the sick and raising the dead and making the lame to walk, we don't ever see Him in agony, do we? We don't ever see Him break a sweat, do we? When a blind beggar wanted his sight, all Jesus said was, Receive thy sight. You remember He stood by the grave of Lazarus. And there was a simple prayer of thanksgiving. He said, Father, I thank Thee that Thou hast heard me. And then He said, Lazarus, come forth. When we see Jesus dealing with hostile adversaries, we see no agony. We see no bloody sweat. Men would have given their very lives to trap Jesus into uttering some unguarded word. And they set the traps for Him with consummate cunning. And Jesus brushed aside their traps like so many cobwebs. But when we see Jesus praying, we see Him in agony. When we see Jesus praying, we see Him sweating as if it were great drops of blood. But you see, having done the work of prayer, everything else seemed to be easy for Jesus. He teaches us to pray by what He does and by what He says. Prayer provides great rewards in our lives. Prayer lets God come into our life. To pray is to open the door to Jesus Christ who's always knocking and waiting to enter that door. To that man or that woman that prays, the eternal God becomes real. To that man or woman that prays, God becomes a force in their lives. And folks, in these difficult days we're living in, there is nothing we need so much as a renewed sense of God. And we can find that. We can find that renewed sense of God as individuals and as a group through prayer. We need to be able to say with the psalmist of old, Lord, I sought You, I sought You, Lord, 
and you heard me. The richest reward of prayer is a new awareness of the presence of the eternal God. And you see, because prayer brings us a sense of God, it also brings us a new courage and a new power. It does not matter how great the danger is that we're facing. If God is real to us, if God is real to you and if God is real to me, we can face danger and we can face our foes with steady eyes and with quiet hearts. Do you remember what Isaiah, the prophet of God of old times, said? They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. When Isaiah said that, he was speaking out of his own experience and speaking out of the experience of others. When we find ourselves inadequate to the demands of life, prayer makes a difference. You remember the story of Daniel? It's a story that brings a thrill to my heart. The politicians had secured the king's signature on a law that said no one should pray. That prayer was forbidden for 30 days to anyone but the king himself. Those crafty politicians knew exactly what they were doing. You see, they were jealous of Daniel. They were jealous of Daniel's position. And so they knew when they got the king to sign the decree that anyone that prayed for 30 days to anybody but the king was going to be executed, they had old Daniel right where they wanted him. Because Daniel was a praying man. And the king had just signed Daniel's death warrant. Because you know what Daniel did? The decree, the ink wasn't even dry on the king's decree. And sure enough, Daniel opened his windows toward Jerusalem and prayed. And you know what it says in the King James? He prayed as was his custom aforetime. That word aforetime means that prayer was a habit of Daniel's life. And of course, you remember the rest of the story. The king had no choice. He, he had signed a decree. And so he had to throw Daniel into the den of lions. And the king walked the floor all night long. Daniel was in that den of lions and he knew the next morning he'd find the floor littered with his bones and the walls splattered with his blood. But Daniel got in that den of lions. God stilled their mouths. Daniel said, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. And they came up and Daniel just nestled in their mane and went to sleep. And the next morning, oh, the next morning, the king hastened to the den and Daniel was alive. Wasn't harmed. And then those politicians that had 
gotten the king to sign the decree. They were thrown into the den and you could hear the bones crackle. You could hear the blood splatter as those lions devoured them. Daniel was a praying man. And prayer in the life of Daniel brought power to the life of Daniel. Prayer brings power. Prayer is also a way to help other folks. That was the faith of Jesus. You remember what Simon was like, don't you? Simon was always being sifted. Jesus said, Simon, Satan is going to tempt you. He's going to sift you like wheat. But I'm going to be praying for you, Simon. Jesus foresaw the sifting of Simon and Jesus prayed for him. On the night before he went away, Jesus prayed with his disciples. And Jesus prayed for his disciples. And according to what the scriptures tell us, Jesus is even now making intercession for us. The Apostle Paul was a man who shared the mind of Christ. And he shared the faith of Christ in prayer. Constantly, Paul was remembering his own converts, his friends, and all men and women everywhere in prayer. And Paul was also always soliciting the prayers of others. Prayer is a way of helping other people. Prayer is a way of me helping you. It's a way of you helping me. It's a way of us helping each other. And since prayer is a way of helping others, prayer is more than a privilege. It is our solemn duty. If you feel like the services of the church are lacking in warmth, if you feel like the services of the church are lacking in power, try prayer. Pray for your preacher, that'd be me. Pray that he might be able to bring to people, pray that I can bring to people a sense of God. That I can bring to people the reality of God. A sense of God's presence. Pray for your song leader. That through the selection of songs and leading our worship in song, we can be brought to a deeper spirituality by the songs that we sing together. It is impossible. It is impossible to have a futile church. And it is impossible to have a futile service where members of the Lord's body really pray. And since we help other people by praying, we ought to pray. Withholding prayer is a sin. You see, there comes a time when prayer is the only way we can help. We can give our money to the cause of mission or to support children if we have it. But if we're unable to give our money,
we can still help by prayer. And then there come those desperate hours in the life of those we love. Those desperate hours when we're sitting by their bedside. And we can help them in no other way except to pray. I can remember sitting by the bedside of those so near and so dear to me. I can remember watching life as it was ebbing from their body. And I can remember thinking how awful it would be if I was unable to pray when there was nothing else that could be done. There are times that prayer is all we can do to help. And therefore we need to let our voice rise night and day in prayer for ourselves and for those that we love. But if our prayer is to accomplish its purpose, our prayer must be intense. God cannot give His best to the listless and the half-hearted. It's the earnest energized, intense prayer that's a mighty force for good. If we're to find the very best in prayer, we've got to be earnest. We've got to be serious. You see, God can't really do much for us until we get to the end of ourselves. It's only when the great heavy hands of a great need grip our shoulders and crush us to our knees, that's when we really pray. Because nothing worthwhile is ever accomplished by the prayers of the half-hearted. If we're going to pray and pray effectively, we've got to be in earnest. We've got to be serious about this thing called prayer. We need to be expectant when we pray. Prayer is not some weird, strange experience. Prayer is the climax of sanity and common sense. Jesus reminds us prayer is something we do in our relations with each other every day. Parents hear and answer the prayers of their children. It's like the other day, Matt called. And Matt prayed to his mother. He said, Mom, we don't have any lasagna in our freezer and we don't have any berry jelly in the pantry. And she heard that prayer. And he's got lasagna in his freezer and berry jelly in his pantry. We constantly hear the requests of our children and we meet their needs and we answer their requests. We are God's children. And prayer is taking to God the things we can't do for ourselves. Jesus said, if a son asks bread of any father, will he give him a stone? 
No good father would ever be so heartless as to give his boy a bag of rocks if he asked and needed bread. And Jesus tells us, with our imperfections, we answer the prayers of our children, how much more will God, our perfect Father, give good things to them that ask Him? In the parable of the friend at midnight, we see the reasonableness, we see the sanity of prayer. This man was embarrassed by an unexpected guest, and he had no bread for him, so he went to the door of a friend. And though he was afraid that this seeker after bread would disturb the children, the neighbor got up, the friend got up, and gave him as much bread as he needed. As a climax to all of this, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 18, He tells us that not only do fathers answer prayer, not only do friends answer prayer, but heartless scoundrels answer prayer also. That's the story our text comes from. Jesus spoke a parable and said men ought always to pray and not faint. There wasn't a city a judge that did not fear God and neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not. But afterward he said within himself, Though I don't fear God and I do not regard man, because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge His own elect which cry unto Him night and day, though He bear long with them? That judge didn't regard God. That judge did not regard man. But the widow got a favorable answer from that crooked, worthless judge. In spite of the fact he didn't care anything about her, he didn't care anything about whether her cause was right or wrong. She just kept bothering him and she got what she wanted. And Jesus said if that kind of a corrupt, worthless judge will answer her petition... How confident can we be that when we pray to the God of heaven who is a judge, a friend, and a perfect father, how much more can we realize God is going to hear us? We've got to be persistent in prayer because we've got to be sure God's going to hear us. What did Jesus say? And shall not God avenge his own elect that cry unto him day and night, though he bear long with them, I tell you, he will avenge them speedily. Because of the truth of what Jesus says there, we, you and I, ought to always pray and not faint in praying. The question is, are you on praying terms with God this very day? Are you living God's kind of life? Are you living God's kind of life God's way? Is Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life? Or do you need to make changes for Jesus to be Lord of your life? If you need to make changes, 
If we can help you with that, this is your opportunity to come and let your requests and your desires be made known as together we stand and while we sing.